Yo, yo, what up? It is Tommy Runs, and this is the Run, Eat, Sleep Show, episode number 109. Today's episode is with a friend of mine. Um, feels weird to call her a friend because she's a legendary distance runner, um, like super famous, now as a commentator for track and field, and like commentated World's Marathon and on the track and all this stuff. Like, it's, it's she's just an absolute rock star, has a book that did amazing um shine shed a light on a lot of things that in the sport that need to be talked about um with no further ado we have Kara Goucher on the show Kara Goucher is just like a gem of a person um whenever you whenever I picture like greatness in in running I don't necessarily think of like like someone as fun and kind and nice as she is and I think she is like one of those people that you know, can change a sport by just being herself, and she continues to do that even in retirement, and using her voice on uh, as a commentator and bringing like some reality and like fun to the broadcast of like a marathon. And I was super happy to be able to work with her and be involved with uh, the Relay podcast with her and get to know her a bit more. And I was really surprised, like to find out like how true and honest and like how how open and caring she is so it was just really fun to be a part of that with her and then to have her on my show was great and Kara and I like after reading the book and there's she's gone through a lot of things in life and handled them so gracefully and still smiles and still makes other people smile still makes other people feel good and so this conversation like went from like an interview to more like a therapy session for like both of us somehow and because we've both gone through things in life so it just ended up being a little deep, deeper than I probably thought I wanted it to be but it was just really great and um, hopefully you enjoy this podcast or this in this conversation as much as I, as I did and yeah I'm just gonna leave you with that one because it was really great and I loved it and like I had to like decompress after like and I text her like thank you so much for being so open and hopefully you like the conversation because I did too so um check it out let me know your thoughts leave a comment you know like this podcast subscribe to the podcast leave a comment let us let me know if I'm heading in the right direction with some of these conversations because they seem to be like less about like actually running and more about like people and person people and the person that they are and you know just a standard normal open conversation that may happen like on a run or on a couch or something like that so check it out love you guys thanks for the support i'll touch base with you after the pod hello hello (laughs) (laughs) i miss i miss seeing your face all the time i know i miss seeing you too it's good to see you though it's good to see you too i really do appreciate you um coming on the show um and because I know you're busy, I know you got a lot going on. You're all over the place. You're all over the world, um, and I'm glad that you found time for for the, this little old show. No, I'm excited about it. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna switch this question on you. We were talking slightly before the the pod. Um, do you have any fun Thanksgiving plans? <laughs> um, well, we host my husband's family every year since we moved back to Colorado. So this will be our like ninth year, I guess, of hosting. So. 
I don't know. My niece missed last year because she was at college and couldn't come back. So she's going to be here this year, which I'm excited about. Yeah. I don't know. You know, just the huge. This just the huge. Do you, are you doing any like turkey trotting? No, Tommy, I fell last week and actually was at the doctor this morning getting an x-ray. I have an MRI next week. So <laughs> I'm not doing any movement right now, which is making me very difficult to be around. Did you fall running? Mm -hmm. I fell okay. running and it, I'm sure it was, I have dystonia in my left leg. I'm sure it was that I was actually feeling so cocky because I had run in the morning and felt good. And I was like, I'm going to do a double. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Kara, just take the victory, but no. Yep. And so, yeah, I felt really bad and I still have a hard time putting weight on it. And been nine days so i went i oh, emailed no. my doctor and he's like yeah it's time to come in and they examined me today and said yeah you need an mri so oh no so no turkey trotting for me i mean you feel like i mean you've been running for a little bit you know mm -hmm. um you f i feel like you'd kind of have it down pat yeah but yeah i mean like i've been doing it for a while um but yeah like i think Probably I just caught my left leg. I probably just pushed it too much. Yeah. And I mean, the like I fall here and there, um, but this was bad. Like when I fell, I was stunned at how hard I hit. And I was like, oh, oh like you did one of those. Yeah. Like it happened so fast. And then I was falling like, okay, just try to relax. Like this is happening. <laughs> so anyway, that's, um, well, yeah. that's, like the good, that's like the one of the things that's good about me is um, I run much, much slower than you, you know, so <laughs> I feel like I fall maybe a little more gracefully. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, I love this theory you're about to propose to me, but I was not running fast at all. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to help. Trying to help. Trying to help. It just sucked. Yeah. Um, well, on to bet, you know, let's, let's get away from that because okay. falling is, falling is never fun. Right. Um, well, unless you're like, would you, would you skydive? I used to be like, yeah, I would do that. And now I know that, I don't know, after I had my son, I'm not fun. I can't do mm. roller coasters really anymore. Like everything mm. makes me feel super sick. So I don't, I don't think so. No, I think it's mm. off the table now. Off the table, man. See, so like, <laughs> I think, I think that like, one of the things that's fascinating about like roller coasters to me is that like, no matter how many times you've, well, maybe not no matter. I mean, maybe those people that like live near one and they have like a year long subscription or whatever they call it, membership. And then you just go all the time and then you, maybe you build up this thing where it's like, I just do this so many times, you know, this is fine. right. But like every time that I've gone, it's always these bigger chunks of time in between like a couple of years or several years or something. And I always feel the same way right before, you know, that first ride, you know, second, third, fourth ride of the day. Like you just kind of like it, it, you, you're good. But the first one is just terrifying to me almost every single time. Right. It's like going up and you're like, why did I do this? Yeah. Why did I say yes? So we went a few years ago and I, the very first ride we went was like one of those Viking ships. And I was like, trying That's not to throw to up. Off. That's a yeah. good way to start off. Yeah. Though. And we're on the end. So there's people looking right at me and I'm trying not to throw up and they're like, please don't, you know, whatever. Anyway, we go through Adam and Colt do a bunch of the rides and Colt really wants me to ride the roller coaster, the last big roller coaster at, at Six Flags here in Denver. And so mm. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And then I'm so scared, Tommy. I'm like, why am mm -hmm. I on this? I don't want to mm -hmm. be here. But Colt starts crying. So now oh, I have no. to pretend like I'm not scared, even though I am. And so he still tells the story that I kept going, just one more hill, one more hill. And then we'd get down and then we'd go, go up again. And I go, just one more, just one more. Anyway. 
I used to love that stuff. I used to love the feeling of being out of control and I don't anymore. I just panic. Yeah. I feel like really tense and it's, I just scream. Just screaming. Yeah. So like, so whenever I'm, I shouldn't say this out loud because then what if someone that like listens to this is also at an amusement park where I'm at and then they're going to be able to see right through my BS. So whenever like, I'm, especially that first ride, I'll be with my kids. So like, I'm trying to act like I'm not, you're you not know, afraid. Like, yeah, like I'm checking my like my like my wa- my running watch and it says like my heart rate's at like 120 <laughs> standing still. And like I'm just trying to act like it's cool. Like then I start messing with the kids. Like that's when you know like a dad is kind of scared when he starts like randomly messing with the children, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, are you scared? Like that means you're scared, <laughs> you know. I totally and, can picture this. Yeah, are you scared? Oh, yeah, I bet you're real scared. You look scared, you look nervous, you know. <laughs> And then, and then like when you get on the ride though, my thing is I I lean into the, to the screaming and stuff like that. Like, and it's almost like you're making fun of it, but it's just a way for me to actually scream, you know? (laughs) Oh, well. Cause like, I don't want to have like that terrified, like screech, you know? Oh no, I do. I do. I scream so loud that I lose my voice. Like it just goes, like, I'm like, ah, (laughs) yeah. You so kind of kind of like kind of like you at worlds almost <laughs> yeah yeah i just get very excited and the voice goes yes very okay. much so like that all right like how i segued into that i like, like that that was good like, yeah like i should do this for a living <laughs> um but honestly um you have done so much in your life um and it's it's almost like you probably could or should like write a book yeah yeah. I should do that. What would you if you if you wrote if you wrote a book, um, what would you name it? I mean, I'd probably name it The Longest Race, which is a book that came out this year <laughs> about my life. Jeez. Well, I'm good at this. Um <laughs> what <laughs> yeah, so you know what else? Yeah, and then would you do like an audiobook too? Yeah, I would. Okay. Would you read your own audiobook? Yeah. I did. Mm. I didn't want to, but I did. Honestly, I think you did a really good job at it. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think you. I think you really because I've. I mean, I. I feel like a lot of people do a decent job at like audiobooks or doing the, reading their own audiobook, but some of them, um, it just doesn't come off as like comfortable. And I think you really did. Like, I think you like you absolutely nailed it. And I got to know you being on the Relay Pod, um, and you the way that you read the book and it just felt like there, it made me realize that you were, that you were comfortable or maybe you were nervous during doing it, but you came off as very like, uh, like you've done it before. I appreciate that. I, it was weird to say the words out loud. Cause you know, you write like, it takes like three years to write a book, right? Mm-hmm. So you like have all these drafts and you have all these revisions and they cut all this stuff out. So you've read it a million times, but then to speak it out loud is a very weird it's just weird. Yeah. It was a very weird experience. And basically, like when I'd start to talk in monotone, I'd be like, yeah, I'm done for today. I have mm. no emotion left. I'm just reading it like it's someone yeah. else's story. But it was a, it was it was probably my least favorite part of the process. But I got through it because you had to say a lot of the words out loud. Yeah. And like I, th- I thought I would get really emotional, which I'm in general, I held it together. But also like yeah, I mean, I did cry twice, which was fine. You know, they gave me time to like gather myself, but just like 
again, it's one thing to like read it, to know it, to feel it, but to have to like say it out loud. It just was a experience. I just had never experienced something like that aside from like talking to a therapist, which is totally private, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, what was it? Well, like, I guess what was, what was tougher, like reading, I mean, it sounds like reading it out, you know, reading it back out loud, but what was tougher, like going through some of those moments and kind of writing the book or knowing what's written and then reading it out loud? I think probably writing the book. I mean, it put me in therapy, which was good. There was stuff that I had obviously never dealt with that I thought I was fine. Um, so in a, in a weird way, it was super healing by the time I got to the end. But yeah, there were certain things where I would just say it super flippantly and then I worked with a co-author because I am not, I'm not a writer. Um, and you know, she'd be like, wait, what, you know? And then I would be like, well, yeah, I guess that is kind of heavy or whatever. And so it really made me realize there were things that I had. I'm a really good compartmentalizer. I always have been. I think it's because like the way my childhood and things that happened in my childhood, I'm really good at putting things to the side and not letting them hurt me. Like I can tell you things I would tell myself to, so that I wouldn't cry or wouldn't feel anything. So I think I've done that my whole life and then it served me as an athlete. But as I was like kind of going back through my life, I realized like, oh, like I never really felt this stuff. I just sort of put it to the side. So that was hard, but it was good because I think I'm a, I think I'm a happier and I, I, I feel like I'm more fulfilled now that I've kind of dealt with it and felt it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So I wouldn't, you know, listen, cause I listened to or read your audio book. I read your book through the audiobook, so I just listened to it. Um, do people say, like, is that a thing? I wonder. Like, a lot of people say, like, oh, I read that. But I wonder, like, how many people at this point read the book, read a book, or if they listened to it. Because I know some I people think... that have said they read something, and I'm looking right in their eyes. I'm like, I know you didn't read that, bro. <laughs> I think it's fine. Look, yeah. I'm my son and my husband, they both have dyslexia. And my son, he reads everything by audio. So hmm. I'm kind of like, I use, I mean, I grew up like you had to do everything, mm -hmm. you, have, you know? Um, but I'm kind of like, Hey, if you took the time to listen and you absorbed it, like that's just as good as staring at a page. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I think so. I think so. And then like, sometimes like when I'm listening to an audio book, like it, I'll have to like rewind, like if I, something yeah. like catches, or I just feel like I zoned out for 10 minutes, like, yeah. okay, we gotta go back. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that like about your, um, I don't want to miss that part. And I don't want to get too like deep or whatever, unless you want to, and you're okay with it. Um, but one of the things that like, that just stood out that you, you compartmentalize very well. Um, and I guess I didn't realize that I do until like, um, you know, in the last few years after like choosing sobriety and like trying to figure out like the farther I go sober, the more like I find out about myself and like figure out things and, I probably haven't dealt with a lot of things still, but I, I see them, you know, more clearly maybe. Um, and I know that I compartmentalize very, very well. Um, I, I lost my dad at eight years old or I was eight. He wasn't eight. Um, I was eight. He was only 39 of a stroke. So listen, listening to your book and like listening to, um, you know, some of the parts of your like early life, like I was like, I really like, I can see, um, what you mean by that and like how you how that works and compartmentalizing is like definitely an easier way for me to have like move through life and not like have everything just be a disaster you know yeah like my dad also died when I was young I was younger than you I was four mm -hmm. um, so I actually feel like your situation is tougher because you knew your dad where I just have like these same memories but I grew up just being like 
that's in a box. My dad died when I was four. People would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I would make a joke. You yeah, every time. Yeah, every time. every time. My little sister, he died when my little sister was six weeks old. We went to college together. Um, it was after like wedding singer movie had come out. And at one point in that movie, he's like, my dad died. Do you want to talk about that too? And we would say that to people and they would be like, and we'd laugh mm. it off. And it was just a way to like, it doesn't bother us. It doesn't bug us. We don't care. It's fine. It's just a part, you know, and now as I got older, I'm like, shit, I think that really is something that has affected me yeah. tremendously. Right. So it, yeah. But sometimes it's easier to just put it to the side. It doesn't matter. It was so long ago. It's oh, it's always been that way. You know, it's easier yeah. to do that. What well, what um, as you've worked through all of that over time, um, like what's what if you had to give someone a tip, like hey, like I'm dealing with with like grief in a heavy way, and I haven't made it to the point where I've like addressed some of these things. Like, what would be your advice for someone that is dealing with grief, um, that hasn't like made it to a point where they can see that they're maybe dealing with it the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, first of all, like grief is forever. Like I'll be sad that my dad died forever. My grandpa died a few years ago and I'm like getting choked up just thinking about it. Right. So it's not like you get through grief and then you're just over it. I think there's a little bit of a fear. Like if I talked about my dad and I was sad about it, then I would just have to like let that, that piece of my heart go and so it does. That doesn't mean you let that person go, or it doesn't still hurt you. But mm -hmm. I think acknowledging that it did hurt me, and it also affected the way I made decisions later in life. And some of those decisions weren't great. And to be able to see why I made those decisions, you know, working through it. And I'm still, I'll always be working through it. Like you probably will always miss your dad. I'm assuming, right? Like I'll always miss him. It will always affect who I became. I'm always going to miss my grandpa and my grandma. Um, but it's just helped me to understand more about myself. And it's also, you know, it, everybody's situation is different, but like my dad died when I was so little that I didn't feel like I had the right to even be sad about it. Like, I don't even right. really remember him. So why, right. You know, so I mean, everybody's situation is different, but I think exploring that it just can help relieve a lot of almost like anxiety that you have about stuff or the way it helps you understand choices that you've made and helps you be more graceful to yourself. I think it's worth diving into, even though it can be really hard. I, I love that you said that is forever. I don't love it because it sucks that it's forever. But um, so Billy Bob, you know, Billy Bob Thornton, mm -hmm. that guy. So Billy Bob Thornton, I guess he lost his brother. Um, I'm not sure when, but it was like, I don't think it was, I think it was somewhat traumatic for him. Um, but he, like some interview somewhere, he said exactly that, like, you know, that grief is forever and I'm going to miss my brother forever. And I'm going to be sad about it forever. And it's going to be a dark spot forever. And he's like, but I love that. You know, and then he was like, it literally makes me who I am. And and like the way he positioned it, like it gave power to the fact that instead of it being like this, this like um, burden or like um, I'm not burden isn't even like grief disguised as um, as uh, blame almost like somehow if the if you don't let grief just be there and that it's okay to, to feel that way you blame yourself for feeling the way you do or you're yeah. ashamed of like of being you know sad about it like i'm 39 and i'm like it, it's it's taken me many times to like talk about it on podcasts and things 
to like actually be to not be ashamed that I'm this many years later and I'm still like choked up, you know, about it, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think that like saying that is forever, but it, that's okay and that's normal. Um, is is so freeing. It's it sucks to have to hear, but it's freeing to know that it's everybody feels. I mean, everybody feels this way, you know. Yeah, and it's like. You can't just get over it. There's mm -hmm. no such thing as getting over it. You've lost someone who is so important to you, who you love so dearly, who had this huge impact on your life. It's like, even if you want it, you just can't, right? Yeah, but you yeah. learn how to like manage it. But like, it'll get me at times. Like the two hardest times for me were when my son turned four because I realized that my dad did have an influence on me. <laughs> I'm like, trying not to cry now. No, I'm over here trying to kill her. Because I was always like, when he died, I was so little, it doesn't matter. But I knew like if I died, my son would be like forever affected. Like he, I have imprinted on him. And then of course, like outliving my father also felt like really, I'm sure that you're feeling that, right? It's like a really weird thing to know that you've outlived a parent. So those were two times where it like really was profound, but I still get sad. Like my dad, he's buried in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, and I'll, I go once a year and I cry like he died yesterday Yeah, and yeah. it's like so dramatic. And then I get in the car and I drive to our cabin and I'm fine, you know, but yeah. it's just, it, everybody's different, but you have the right to feel how you feel about it. And it's going to catch yeah. you for the rest of your life. It just is. Yeah. Um, I'll just add one more thing. And then we yeah. I promise people that are listening <laughs> that maybe you're crying on your long run right now. It's okay. Um, but honestly, like, cause so my son is now 13. Um, so he's, you know, five years math, five years older than I was. Um, so like, I mean, I remember when he turned eight, I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I couldn't imagine, you know, like how he was in at that point and like having him lose somebody like that. Um, and it kind of like also showed me like, wow, like maybe this is, why you've done a lot of these things that you know maybe have you know self just you know destructive and self-sabotage because if this little kid right now lost yeah. you then he would have like he wouldn't be lost in the world because he has family but it's like it's a big deal you know um and i'm 39 now and my dad was 39 when he passed and so my birthday our, our birthdays are only five days apart my dad and, and i so on my birthday of turning 39, like we went to the movies and we're watching this thing and we went to go see Blue Beetle. Nice little, nice movie. I think it's like a DC com like comic movie or whatever. But the dad dies in the movie and I'm sitting next to my kids in this movie theater and my daughter's 16. She literally held my hand and she's oh. like, it's going to be okay. Like I was losing it. Oh, Karen. I, yeah. losing I'm it. like waterworks. <laughs> Like, I'm like, wow, thanks, Blue Beetle, for catching me off guard. You could have told me. all days. Can, I don't care. You can spoil alert that. Please let me know that, like, a dad right. dies in a movie. It doesn't even. God. You know, like, if a parent dies in a movie, I am just done. Yeah. Just absolutely done. But except oh. for, like, Godfather, because, like, I mean, that sucked, too. But, you know, it was, like, the Godfather or whatever. So that kind of made sense. Um. But yeah, let's, let's moving on past like that part. But I think I just think it's like I I love that you embrace that. I love that you that you spent a lot of time talking about that in your book, um, because it's like freeing for you. But then it's also freeing for other people that have like struggled with and like grappled with like 
this thing that look, feels like we should be over it. Yeah. Um, and it really ruins like other parts of our lives because we can't, we won't allow ourselves to be okay with being upset or sad or like they're having moments, you know? Um, so in, I appreciated that part of your book. So that's why I wanted to spend some time. I didn't want to make yeah. you cry, you know? It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, but so the, for the, for the folks that like, cause I, you know, I listened to the book and so many people know a lot about you. Um, but I kind of want to act like I don't know some of it. And when was like, when was, when did you realize that, what was the day, time, minute, second that you realized that you were fast? Oh, fast. Um, you know, I would do these little races with my grandpa a couple times in the summer and I was usually the first girl, but there weren't very many girls in these races. It was mostly boys. Um, I would say it really wasn't until seventh grade when I joined organized running. I went up from a middle school cross country team. I was super pumped because I didn't realize that like running could be like a thing that you would go to practice for. Like until then it was something that my grandpa and I just did together here and there. And, um, I mean, the first race I got walloped and I asked my coach if they were cheating because some, like a girl beat me that sprinted and walked and sprinted and walked. Is that cheating? And I was like, is that allowed? And he was like, yeah, it's just whoever gets to the finish line first, you know, but at the end of this little season, I won the city championship. And that's when I was like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of good at this, you know, like, I mean, I just beat all the girls at the city championship. So I guess seventh grade was when I realized like, I'm, I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so like you, um, you had a, a wonderful support system, like, you know, after, um, you know, it feels like after a, a big loss, like sometimes like a family, uh, splinters, you know, and it's like this person kind of held everything together. Um, but then other cases, like people step up in a major, major way. Mm-hmm. Um, and your grandfather was definitely one of those that like that figure in your life. Um, what was like, what's one of the things that, that, that he, instilled in you that you find yourself like calling back to like to this day? Oh my God, so much. He had such a huge influence on my life. Um, I think like just believing in myself, believing I was tougher than everybody else thought, you know, he would always say like, people underestimate you. I, I know <laughs> you can do this and that, not just in running, just in life, you know? Yeah. Um, he really was into following the rules, you know, like he is a military guy you follow the rules and that has had a huge impact on my life because I'm like a little rule follower. Um, but also just uh, you do the right thing and you do the right thing for other people as well, which has really influenced me as well. He had just a huge impact on me and who I've become. Yeah, that's dope. Um, and I, I just think that that's so cool like to have someone in. I was like listening to the book. I'm like, I like this guy. He's, he's like <laughs> he's like right there, you know, and mm-hmm. um and it just seemed like it is without like, with everything happening and like kind of figuring out where you are in life as a as like a young teenager um to have someone just be right there like you know i believe in you and and you know and even like pushing you in a way to just continue to keep reaching further and further um so like as you got faster you know out of seventh you know seventh grade eighth grade into into high school like what was i didn't run in high school so like in your memory, like what was like high school cross country like for you? It was the best time. I mean, really, like I obviously my running went to much higher heights, but 
I loved high school cross country so much. I don't think I would have stayed with running if it hadn't been for high school cross country specifically, not track cross country. It was like this. We, the boys and girls trained together. We had a very big team. We were all really close. We all believed in each other. Um, it was the focus was always about the team. Not, I mean, of course, like my coach would be like, I hope you win, but you know, yeah. like it was about the team and I, when I went, you know, for girls, it's kind of different. Like my son is 13, like your son. And he's like, I can't wait to go through puberty. I can't wait. You know, where I was like, I don't want to go through puberty because I'm going to get taller and I'm going to get boobs and I'm going to slow down, you know? So when I did go through puberty and I, all those things happened, I probably would have quit running if it hadn't been for my teammates. Cause they were like, we still need you. We love you. Mm -hmm. And it was, they still made it fun. So yeah, high school was an incredibly good experience for me. And, um, I'm really, really grateful for the experience I had. Right, that that's dope. And so, like at that time, like was track was. I mean, you did cross country and track, but like was track like your was track your main focus at that point? Like, were you like more? Did you feel like there was more of a future? I mean, looking back, was there more of a future in the track part of it, or was like cross country really like your thing? I mean, I loved cross country more, but I knew that if I wanted to go on to college and then, you know, I had dreams of going to the Olympics. So I knew like that would have to be on the track, but I, I still love cross country the best. Like my son's running cross country and it makes me so happy. Um, I really want to help out with the local high school when he's there. So it's still my favorite, but I, I did like track too. Don't get me wrong. Like I liked track. I liked that it was measured. I liked that it was like reliable. Like, you know what you're going to get? Like, yeah, the weather might change, but like, you know what you're going to get, you know, what distance you're going to run. You know, some cross country meets are super hilly. Some are way too short. Some are flat. Like you get it all. Um, so I liked like the consistency and like, I know what I'm about to get. Um, but I like, but one of the things I liked about cross country is that like time didn't matter. We weren't yeah. focusing on times. We were just running as hard as we could, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I know you had, like you said, you had Olympic dreams. Um, and it seemed like a, I mean, obviously I did one thing about the book that I didn't expect for you to, you didn't say it outright, but like, I thought like just, you were just like, going to be extremely competitive from like day one. Like, it's just like, I want to beat every single person <laughs> ever, you know, but like something about like a middle school boyfriend, who mm -hmm. kind of like, um, and I wrote it down in my notes as permission from others. It was a middle school boyfriend and then also a babysitter who eventually like somehow gave you permission um, in like a way that like a nod or like, yeah, go ahead, do your thing. Um, can you talk about that though? Like and how important those like small permissions were for you? Yeah. In sixth grade, we were running um, this four, like 440 or something. I don't, I have the medal right here. It's like the only medal I have in my office. That's um, and it's the sixth grade 440 YMCA Camp Miller first place. Um, but I'm running and this boy that was my boyfriend, you know, I mean, whatever, school, I mean, whatever yeah. it meant back then, but still, probably, real, like, probably real serious. You yeah. Know? I mean, like, I don't think we ever held hands or anything, but he was like, <laughs> I loved him and he was ahead. And I remember I was running and coming closer and closer to him. And I thought like, I don't really want to pass him because I don't want him to feel bad or be mad at me. Yeah. Um, and, but then like this little competitive streak kicked in and I passed him. And afterwards, he was, like, so happy for me. And, like, he ended up being the nicest guy, by the way. Like, I'm still in touch with him. He ended up being, like, oh. exactly what you would have thought. Shout out to Scott Heisley. He's, like, the best guy. 
great husband, father, whatever. We can move on. But it, it for me, it was like, oh, wow. Like I was able to be competitive and beat him. And he, he still liked me just as much. Mm -hmm. And likewise, a year later, I was running. So I ran cross country for the middle school in seventh grade. But then in track, the high school coach invited me to come out for the high school team. So I was running this race, this high school race is actually my first race, I think. And I was like tucked behind my babysitter, my old babysitter. And I'm just like running behind her. She was a senior. And finally, she was just like, Carrie, you can pass me. It's okay. You know? <laughs> and, and you know, it felt disrespectful. Like it's Jody's a Lesnikar, my babysitter. How can I pass her? But she gave me that permission. So that did definitely stay with me throughout my life and my career to like acknowledge when, you know, it's okay to like... Like it happened to my sister and I when I was a senior and my little sister was in eighth grade and she was like running behind me. And I, I, you know, part of me wanted to just run the whole way in like that. You can get second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then I was like, no, I, that's the wrong thing to do. And I told her you can go. And she went by me and she kicked the head and she won by a lot and it hurt, but it also was like, that's life. You know, like you got to give permission to be all they can be. You got to give people permission to be who they can be. Right. No, I hear that for sure. Um, and I just, I, I like that part. I mean, because it's like the wrong, unfortunately, the wrong response from him or your babysitter. Yeah, it would have like, left an impact on me. Could have shaped. I mean, because you'd been like, right, see, I shouldn't have passed him. And then somehow, like, you have this thing where you're like self-sabotaging. You don't even know. Yep. Um, but it just kind of like worked out perfect and picked the perfect couple people to to pass yeah. in a race. Yeah, you know? yeah, it worked out well. <laughs> good people. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna win a race, make sure you pass the right people. Make sure they're good know? Minnesota people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're from if you're from New York, don't pass anybody. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Because they're probably gonna say something really crazy. They're not gonna be as nice. It. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, but then, so like you 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 move on from from high school. Talk to me about like that that like transition from high school to college and what was like one of the things that stood out to you um, that were like a big shock to like the, the change? I mean, my transition was super difficult. I always thought I wanted to go to Stanford. That was my dream school. But my senior year, I wasn't running as well. I had my body had changed a lot. I had slowed down. My little sister was beating me and all of a sudden like they weren't interested. And so I had like only wanted to go there. So then I was kind of like, oh crap, like I got to figure this out. I have to go to, I have to go to college. And I started visiting with other schools and they didn't really love any of it. And, um, I had seen university of Colorado women's team. My, my mom and my stepdad at the time had taken me down to Iowa to watch the NCAA cross country championships as like a gift. Mm -hmm. And I saw Colorado get second without any like real superstars. And so I ended up like, by the way, this is so long ago. Like you're calling and I would leave messages on answering machines. I'd be like, hi, my name is Kara Wheeler and I'm a two-time footlocker finalist and I haven't run well in a year, but it's only because I've been growing and I know I can help your team, you know, cause like then they can't hang up on you or anything, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I pitched myself, I pitched myself and I got myself a 20% scholarship. I was shocked by that. I was a multi-state champion. I'd qualified for footlocker. I think everyone was shocked. We all thought I'd get a full ride. That didn't happen for me. Um, and then came to Colorado and I went from a 30, 35 mile a week program to Wetmore only had me run 45, 50, but everything was so intense. Right. And I was just like, I'm going to run with the big dogs. Like I'm going to do what they do. And so I got injured my, my freshman year, I got a stress fracture. So it was a very bumpy transition. And there were times where I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, 
I can't even make varsity on this team. I thought it was going to go to the Olympics. Like, what am I doing? But yeah. I kind of stuck with it. And my coach at Colorado, Mark Wetmore, really believed in me. He was like, and he always would talk about the long term. So there was girls that I ran with in high school that had transitioned into the NCAA flawlessly. They're winning titles. They're getting second at nationals, right? And I'm like getting 160th or something. But mm -hmm. he was that the first person that really talked to me about like, you can have that, but you just can't have it yet. You got to think it's going to be in three years, four years. And I was like, what? That's so far away. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, that's how it ended up working out. Like he really taught me about long-term progression, believing in myself and checking the boxes and taking my time and not trying to rush stuff. Like, I mean, so, so. I don't want to get into like uh cult yet because you know he's running right now but so like what what for, for someone that's listening that you know that has you know um has dreams to to you know qualify for boston or or whatever the thing is that they're looking for and it just doesn't seem that it's happening as quickly as they maybe thought when they were progressing pretty quickly you know like a, a couple years ago when they first got into running or something like that like what's how do you stay like patient like that though. I mean, I know you had someone there that says like, Hey, you know, the, you know, look, look farther out, but that's easier said than done. Like yeah. what's your advice for people that are really want to get after it, but it's just not working out right now. I think you just need to focus on your own progress and no matter how small, even if it's like you ran a marathon and you got 12 seconds faster, that's still progress or your mm -hmm. workouts are getting slightly better. I mean, like I will say patience was one of what I would say my skills is that even in racing, I could be very patient. Um, and so I will say that was just like a skill that I had, but it's, it's like, really, it takes a lot of faith in yourself and a lot of faith in your goals and your dreams, but to really focus on all of the positives, look, there's a million things every day in every race and everything that's telling you, you can't do it. So mm -hmm. it's like focusing on the little things that are telling you, you are, you know what? I, my easy runs have gotten a little bit faster. This workout, I'm a little bit quicker. This, you know, I'm a little bit stronger in the gym. Always focusing on the positive because then you'll see that over the years, it is adding up and eventually you will get to where you want to be. Yeah, because I mean, I like that because there's so many people that whose, you know, <clears throat> workouts are, the the, the training blocks are, are great, you know, or the workouts are like, they're looking like everything's great, but then somehow it just doesn't line up like on race day. For like mm -hmm. all these different reasons, obviously, but it's hard to see that. So it's like you get frustrated and you change up a bunch of stuff about like you you hire a new coach or you download a new plan or you, you know, a bunch of random things. Right. Yeah. How do you how do you like pull back? How do you fight doing drastic things because you're just like tired of somehow this isn't adding up? Well, first of all, I just remind people like all that work you did is still in you just because the one day didn't go the way you had hoped it would all that hard work, like you still did that. And that still is in you. And that's still going to be like your starting block for your next cycle. Like that's still there. And, you know, sometimes you do need to change it up, but sometimes it's like, okay, what is the reason it went bad? Did I expect more than I saw in my training? And now I'm just frustrated. Like, was I being realistic about what my goal was? You know, like, I think a lot of us as athletes were like, oh, things are going well. And and then we put a, a goal out there that like, we actually haven't done the work to achieve yet. And that's the hard part is that there's no shame in just taking the steps, taking your time. Like, I, I was like that. I went to college and I wanted to be like good right away. I saw other girls, they were good right away. And Wetmore was just like, yeah, no, that's not your journey. You know, you're not, that's, I believe you can get there, but 
you got to like take every step and like appreciate every step. And so sometimes you just need a new situation, but sometimes it's like, okay, what really happened on race day? Like, did I try to take a step that I wasn't ready to take? And that happens to people. Yeah. And then sometimes I think it's like, okay, it's okay to take a swing, you know, like, yeah. And you, and you, but you have to acknowledge that you took one, you know, like mm -hmm. you can't, totally. you can't be, you can't beat yourself up. Like you, like you just went out there and tried to easy run it and it, and you bombed. Like if you took a swing, it doesn't always happen, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had races where, you know, most of the time I knew what I was capable of doing because I had proven it to myself in training, but there's, I can think of a couple of times right now where I took a big swing. One time it paid off huge. One time it didn't. All right, and... well, go, go. let's talk about both of them. Which one, okay. which one do you want to do first? Um, well, the first one is the good one, probably. 2007 was my first world championship track team, and I knew my training had gone great. And, you know, my coach really convinced me, like, this is the time to take a risk. Just stay with the leaders. Like, if you blow up, nobody expects you to do anything. But if you can stick in there, like, you could do something pretty special. But you have nothing to lose, essentially. And so I took that risk and I won a medal at the world championships and I stunned everyone, including myself. Right. And it was awesome. And it totally changed my life. But, and that was, and that was the 10,000, the 10,000 meters. Yes. 3202. Yeah. So it wasn't even fast time. That's, it was a very strategic race and I just kept putting myself in it and putting myself in it. And it was really hot. It was like 80, 88 degrees, I think, and high humidity. And I think that got in the heads of some other people. And then we were running slow. I think we went through the halfway at 1630. And then I came back with 1530. So it just became this really strategic race. And instead of getting worried about the time or the weather, I just like tried to keep my nose in it as long as possible. And I ended up winning a medal. It was crazy. It totally changed my life. But then fast forward seven years, I'm at the 2014 New York City Marathon and I know I've trained to run about, about 228. Like I've done enough, I've run enough marathons at this point, I know. And then I get there that day and it's really windy and I have to make a decision. There's like a group of women running 225 or there's like no one. And I'm like, I'm going to go for it. This mm. course loves me. I know, you know, oh, I mm. ate shit. I mean, I died so hard. I hit the wall. I... I can't even remember most of the race. I don't even know how I finished. So like in that time, I and afterwards, I just, after my coach was like, I just was like, I need to know that you still believe I should be doing this. Like, just give me a wake up call or tell me to move on and he, or tell me to do it. He was like, we trained for 228. You tried to run 225. Like you, you went for it and it bit you. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so once I realized that I was able to like, let go of it. Like I took a swing it was a miss. And now mm. I need to like refocus on what it is that I want moving forward. Um, and New York is not an easy course. <laughs> no, I mean, of all the courses to like, just kind of go for it. You know, it was like, a, it was around mile 15 that the wheel started to fall off. And that's not a fun 11 to go. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I, I, we just, uh, a bunch of us just ran New York a few weeks ago. And right around mile 15, you get that one bridge, yep. the Queensboro. And yep. It's the loneliest, quietest, yep. weirdest. You hear how race. hard you're breathing or how like a little like I was hearing that I was a little over the edge. Mm. I'm trying to tell myself it's going to be fun. I'm going to go down. Right. Everyone's going to be cheering. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. I'm just yeah. going to ride the energy from the crowds. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that is a tough. One. I think that's probably I mean, I have I've only run nine, um, two of them, two of them, New York. 
I mean, I mean, it's just, I mean, some people have run like so many, they have like so many different, like, oh, this right. one's tougher, but right. um, New York to I me think is, that one's is hard. New York to me is, is, is tougher than Boston. I think so too. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. Um, all of the turns, the variation mm-hmm. in surfaces. I mean, Boston, mm-hmm. you just go straight, 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 straight. Mm-hmm. Then you turn at the firehouse, then you turn on to, I can't even think of what it's called right now. Like the main road in, mm-hmm. in the last 10 K and like, that's it right then on yeah. Hereford or whatever. New York, it's like constantly turning. The surface is changing. You're on bridges. You're on uneven roads. You're on concrete. You're on all the, you know, there's like so many reasons why I think it's a much more difficult marathon. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's pretty much, if you like, it's really rolling kind of the whole way. Like, or you'll have these moments where it's like a mile slowly uphill and you, it, it makes you try to remain as, as present as possible because like you'll forget that you're, that you've been running uphill for a mile. And mm-hmm. you'd be like, well, this is it. Because you won't like <laughs> register. You won't register that you've been uphill. You know, you're just yeah. like, well, all that training for nothing. And right. then you could, if, you, if you're not present and just say like, hey, we're on a hill. It's fine. Just get through this moment. You know, mm-hmm. you could let that, you could let that spiral. And next thing you know, you just like, you just, the day's gone, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the things that's so hard about it. I feel like at Boston, you can get in a rhythm. Like, sure, it's rolling but New York, it's like so dramatic, the changes and the turns, and it's hard to really just get into a rhythm there. So you do have to be really present. So it's mentally exhausting too. I think it's it's the hardest. I, I haven't run that many marathons either. I don't, I don't know how many, maybe 10 or 11 at the most. Yeah. Um, it's by far the hardest one I've done. What's your what's your um, your favorite favorite race ever? Like the, the, like the year in the race? My favorite race I ever ran was the half marathon championships were in Duluth, Minnesota, where I grew up. And I ran there as my prep race for the Olympic games in 2012. Mm -hmm. And it was so freaking awesome. Like I'm on the starting line and all these people are like, we were in chemistry together or we did this (laughs) together. And then I'm running and people are like, I taught you in math or, you know, it was just like so amazing. And like my grandparents were there and my high school coaches were there and my family. And it was just, it was so, I've never had more fun in, I mean, I was running hard cause I wanted to break the course record. So I was like, and it was like a hard effort, but I've never had so much fun in a race like that before. It just felt like so lifted up. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask a question before, but we kind of like, we, we ventured a different direction. Um, how important do you think that even to like the amateur runner, how important do you think a coach's role is to like the progression in a sport? I mean, for me, coaches were super important because I have a way of like not being confident with like training or not being confident myself. So I always really needed someone that I really trusted to plot it for me, to tell me to trust it. Like one of my big things is always like trust your training. And if you're writing your own workouts, you really have to believe that you know what you're doing. So for Mm -hmm. me, coaches were huge. Obviously, if you've read my book, I had a situation that wasn't healthy Um, but I even credit, I still credit Salazar with a lot of my success because I did trust him. And when he believed in me, then I believed in myself. So everyone's different, but for me, I always needed a coach and I always needed to really be able to trust my coach and really put my hopes in their hands and say, I trust Mm -hmm. you. Tell me what to do to get this. Yeah. I guess I've, I've, I've had a coach since like I started to like want to go after the marathon because like, I mean, I figured like, hey, if I'm going to tackle this, like, longer distance, I need some help with this. Um, and uh, nowadays, there's so many, um, like, training plans out there that can just be purchased. And you just mm-hmm. 
you know, you just, you know, look at your schedule and you go run it, but you don't have anybody to talk to. Right. And a lot of times, you know, especially if like during the training block, things get like sticky and it's like, you know, why do I feel like this? Why mm-hmm. am I, why did I miss, why did I like bonk this workout? And some of them, sometimes like all you would really need to is like maybe talk to someone that's watching your training just to say something so casual, like, oh, it's just, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. some random thing that a coach would say. And then you're like, okay, fine. And you you can let it go easier than if I was by myself, <laughs> I would be. Right. I'd be no, done. totally. When I'm the last coach I had, I went back to my college coach for the end of my career. And I remember one day I was warming up and he was like, you look tired. And we were doing mile repeats. And I was like, I can get through it. And he was like, we'll do it tomorrow. Mm. I would never do that on my own, right? I would go and just grit through it because that's what's on the calendar. And that's what needs to get done. And he was just like, no, I don't like the way you look right now. We're, we're going to do it tomorrow. And then we came back the next day and did it. So like a coach can see things too. I think as athletes, like I just said, if it's on your training plan, you're like, oh, I have to do it because it's on the training plan. And sometimes you need someone to say, no, you don't actually need to do that today. Or, hey, you look really good. You should do another one or just mm-hmm. whatever, right? But just talking through with someone because we have good days and bad days. And sometimes we are digging in a hole and we don't even know it. Yeah. And sometimes we're not pushing ourselves hard enough. We don't know. It. So for me, a coach was always really important. Um, and one of the one of the things in the book that stood out to me, um, and I would have never guessed it, like if you just looked on paper, is that you know, in Boston, you finished third place. And but you were upset. You were oh, yeah. not a happy camper. Um, can you just talk to me about that like moment? Because I've I'm like listening to you talk about it, and I'm like, wow, I've been there before. Like I've PR'd in a race and some distance, and was like literally upset. Like I was going through my Instagram trying to like archive stuff this morning, and I got to this thing where I PR'd in um, a half marathon, and it was a tropical tropical storm, um, Wanda in savannah georgia and it was like 30 degrees and rainy and windy and i pr'd in the half and i re- it's, my mom got a video of me finishing and i looked at my watch and i started like i started cussing because mm-hmm. i was because i had trained for something faster you know right. um and i'm like and i'm watching it now like you're an idiot like you just pr'd in a storm like what's wrong with you but can you talk to me about your moment finishing third um at a race as big as you know boston and figuring out how to not be upset about it or why you were upset too Yeah. I mean, like, so I went into 2009 Boston, like I wanted to win so bad and my coach wanted me to win and my sponsor wanted me to win. And it was almost like it was like a done deal, right? Like I, they, they, I knew that I was going to be on the Today Show the next day. I knew that they were going to light up the John Hancock building with my initials. I knew that this commercial was going to run as soon as I crossed the finish line. I've never felt that kind of pressure of like, I want to win for myself, but now I have to win because all of these people are counting on me to deliver this history, right? Like there was a full page, Nike did a full page ad and um, what is the, the Boston Globe? I mean, it was just like so intense. And so, you know, before I left to, to start, my coach had told me, do not take the, do not take the lead until Hereford. So like 600 to go like, or on Boylston when you take the left onto Boylston, it's like 600 to go or something. Do not take the lead until then. And so I'm running in this race and we, Tommy, we were running so slow. Like there was still like 20 some women at halfway. We're stepping on each other. We're tripping on each other. I found out later that they were waiting for me to make a move because there'd been all this hype that I was going to win. So they were like, well, we're just going to follow her. Um, And we got to about 10K to go and I just couldn't take anymore. I looked around, there's still 18 women. I'm like, this is crazy. Like something crazy could happen. So I took the lead. 
I go, I, I open up, I immediately start feeling better. But someone from the press truck yelled, care, be careful. You're running close to five minute pace. And I immediately slowed down and I've never watched the footage, but my husband has, and he says, I started to pull away. And then I all of a sudden slam on the brakes. And so I, I regret listening to anyone but my own gut in that moment. So I don't have, I hardly have any regrets in life. I'm kind of like, you get no do-overs. Like, what's the yeah. point? Just learn from it, move on. I will regret that for the rest of my life that I listened to this person, that I let them get in my head. It's not even their fault. I, it's my fault. Um, so I slowed down and the pack still was whittling and we got down to three women. And yeah, with a mile to go, I just didn't have it. And they, they kicked away and I got third. And as soon as I finished, I really felt like, like I was going to die. Like that's how much I felt like I had disappointed people. Oh man. I just started crying and I couldn't stop. And then, and then my coaches were yelling at me to stop crying, which only made it worse. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I just felt like I had never felt, you know, I, of course you feel like you let people down your coach or whoever you're like, Oh man, I messed up. But like, I had never felt that kind of like, Oh, I let, so many people down in this moment and so much was riding on this. And yeah, it was like very, honestly, it was like traumatic experience. Like I've never watched any footage. I don't think I ever will. Mm -hmm. It just, I ended up having to like go to therapy to work through it because I just felt like I, I disappointed everyone. Was like the, but was like the, the actual, like what really happened after as, you know, as bad as you imagined, like in the moment of not really. I mean, like my coach was really upset and like we had to have like almost an intervention because he was just like, if you would have done what I said, you'd be boss marathon champion. But no, I mean, my, I remember my grandpa being like, you got to move on. Yeah. Like, like the sun came up the next day. We're all still here. You, you know, and he I remember he said, do you think if you had won, like there'd be world peace? Like starving mm. children would be mm. like, no, it's a race, you know? So yeah. he was a person that did help me put it in perspective. Like it's a race. It's just, mm. it's just a running race, but it didn't feel like that in the moment. And even all these years later, even though I know he's right, it still feels sad. I still, I feel yeah. sad for how I feel sad for who I was in that moment. Okay. You know I what that. I mean? Like I know now that I did the best I could and that I did, I didn't give up and that it just worked out the way it worked out. I know yeah. that, but I feel sad for how I felt back then. Yeah. Um, and you, I mean, you kind of touched on, you touched on the relationship uh, with your, with your coach at that time. Um, and you were very far removed from all of that and therapy and book and like hundred percent moved on from that, that situation. Um, and now you're in a position where you are commentating, you know, these races, um, and watching young women go through like the systems of like, you know, of high school, college, professional athlete. And, you know, you, you kind of have some of the insight of like, um, maybe assuming what people may be going through, you know, kind of behind the scenes a little bit, and you're much closer than maybe some of us are that, to that. What's one of the things that you try to uh, like instill or share with 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 other women um, that are coming up and showing a lot of promise? Like, what are some of the things that you like drop to them that that you feel super important that they at least hear or know? I think like just being so honest with them about everything. I I really want people to feel like they can reach out to me. 
and that I will be there for them. And um, I think the book was like really important to me because I wanted women to be able to read. I mean, I wanted everybody to read it, but women to be able to read it so that they could see like patterns that I fell into that were not healthy, that weren't good. You know, like I've always been really close with my coaches, but obviously this one coach at the Oregon Project, it was too close and there was too many lines being blurred. And I, I just want people to see that. And also to know that they don't need to be ashamed either. You know, like I've carried so much shame for so many years about what happened between my coach and I. And um, I just want people to know, like, it's okay. Like you can move on from it and it's not your fault. Um, so basically, like, I just want to be an open book. That's my thing. I, I have a lot of women that will DM me or will come up to me and attract me. And that's how I want it to be. I want to feel like I want anyone to feel, I don't care if you, who you run for, who your coach is. I want you to feel like if you are uncomfortable about something or you're wondering if something's right, or if you just have a question about an agent or a contract that you can come to me and I'll tell you to the best of my ability, I'll tell you what I know and what I think can help you. And that's mm -hmm. just really important to me because I didn't, I didn't have that. And it's not, it's not even that like there were no role models or anything like that, but like nobody talked about contracts. Nobody talked about I mean, definitely no one was talking about anyone being sexually assaulted or anything like that. No one was talking about abuse and it's, and it's no one's fault. I just think it's like, it was all just like a hidden thing that no one would ever talk about. And that's how that shit stays alive, mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, it's like, I just want to talk about everything. You can come, you can, you could ask me about anything, anything. And I will tell you because that's how it empowers the next generation to make clear choices and to have safer paths moving forward. Uh, I think that like sharing, um, I mean, obviously, you know, you hear like people say sharing is caring, but you know, I feel like sharing is how we just, how we all just become better, you know? Yeah. Um, you didn't ask, like, I'm just going to randomly throw in parts of my story too. So like, I thought, you know, as a, as a content creator and a runner, like my goal is to get faster and to see how that works out and, and just keep pushing and try to get PRs and stuff like that. Um, and the chances, like a couple of chances I've had to be like on, you know, on podcasts or like be on, be on panel discussions, this one panel in particular, like I was on a stage with some really like with, with Meb and like a couple other professionals. Um, and I'm like, number one, why am I up here? Uh, number two, like, as soon as this is over, let me get out the way because they're going to, people are going to want to like do, you know, get autographs and stuff. But then I stepped to the side, you know, kind of like, let me back up. And then next thing you know, I had like 10 people in line to talk to me um, because I had shared my feelings and thoughts about like sobriety and how I got to this point in like mental health. And that's like that moment when I realized like, oh, this whole thing is about sharing our truth, you know? Um, and I love that you are very good at, at, at you know, commentating. And I, I love that, like the energy when you, when we're, I'm like watching worlds and I get to hear you like yell squirrel, you know, in the middle, <laughs> of, a, <laughs> a, middle of a race, um, you bring ev all, every bit of your personality to the, to the broadcast. But then I, knowing you a little bit more and then listening to the book, it's somehow I feel like all of this, you still have this. Uh, awareness that you're you're here to to share your truth though you know um 
whether everything you know like commentating and racing and all that stuff like all that gears and gets you more prepared to be able to be in a position to tell your truth and share with people that need to hear it yeah thanks i mean it's funny because it's like like you're asking to be on your podcast i'm like okay i mean like i don't race anymore i talk about other people i don't have like good sound clips you know i grew up in northern minnesota i ate spam on christmas eve every year that's the clip (laughs) So it's just kind of like, it's, but I, but one thing I've learned is like, just what you were saying, you're up there. You're like, why am I here? You know, I'm by Meb who's won all, you know, all this stuff. Sometimes just like being honest, people just need to hear that because they hear themselves in it and it just opens something up in them. So I'm like, I really feel like I'm, I'm not that important. I'm not, but I just, but I also just am really happy to be as honest as you want me to be. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, yeah. I just don't have a lot of walls. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think in, in that, like, that's powerful though, you know? Um, and you are important to like, to everyone that's like heard your, your story, that's, that's made a decision or drew, drew a line where there wasn't one before, or just said, you know, st- straight up got out of a situation um, or felt empowered or, you gave permission to in some way through your book or the way that you talked about things over the years. So you are important to like, to many people. I mean, saying you're you know, feeling self-important is you know different, but like you are important to many different people. And I didn't run in, in middle school or high school or college. And I didn't have a coach that was um, an asshole, you know? Um, but I felt empowered through the book for so many different reasons um, because you didn't have like this life that was that you didn't have a perfect cookie cutter life, you know? And a lot of times when we see people like yourself that don't share, um, we assume that they did. And it's like, well, I can never be that person. I could never be as amazing as that because look at all the terrible things that I have to deal with. Like I compartmentalize. How can I be like Carrie Goucher? Oh, she does too. Mm. You know, that's, mm. that's a big deal. So I don't, yeah, don't downplay that part, please. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate cool. it. Cool. Cool. And back to happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so how does it feel to have your son running and running very well? It's so fun. The thing is like my husband is an Olympian too. And so it's so, we just want him to have his own journey. So like even on social media, I don't really post his times very often or his places because I don't, and I get a lot of people being like, well, how fast is he? This and that. Mm-hmm. And and that's fine. Like, I'll tell you if you really want to know, but like, it's more about his own journey through the sport. And I see himself growing and believing in himself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's just been so much fun. And I, you know, he started pretty young. I mean, he ran last year in sixth grade on a club team that, and like went to a national championship. I never did anything like that in sixth grade. He's doing it again this year. So sometimes I get nervous, like, oh God, like, is it too young? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a little bit like Adam and I and that he he likes track, but he like loves cross country. So I think at this point, like he'll barely run in the spring. So it'll be fine. But um, yeah. I don't know. It's been amazing. And it's also like, you know how like if you have a cat and you like, you try to like go to it, it's like, and walks away. But if you kind of <laughs> ignore it, it like comes up and like 
rubs against you. That's yeah. how I feel like I am with Colt and his running. If I'm like, oh my God, tell me everything. He's like, Ugh, mom. But if yeah, I'm just like, right. hey, was practice school. Then, he, <laughs> then he'll be like, well, yeah, we did that. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's just super fun. But also I'm like always trying to like remind myself that I had my own journey in running and I want him to have his own too. That's awesome. I mean, and, and I feel like that and because of all the things that you've been through, um, if you hadn't, you could be one of those parents that because both of your both of you um, are runners and fast, you could have this weird thing where it's like, oh, no, trust me, I know how to get you faster. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you think that you're helping, but you could be pushing them away from something that's really cool, which is running. Yeah. Um, so it gives you this perspective of like how to maybe help a young person nurture like a solid relationship with this thing that you still love, you know? Yeah. And we're always reminding them like, you could do this for so long. Like you are only 13 years old, you know, like we, this is the one thing that we're a little bit weird about. He's only allowed to run three days a week because I'm just like, you're young and you're growing. And during the middle school season, which was only four weeks long, he was allowed to run five days a week because they met five days a week. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I was over, we switched it to three. And it's it's like, that's, that's the only thing that I involve myself in because I'm just like, you're so young. I don't want you training a ton right now. Like I want that envelope to be able to open, open, open over all these years. Let's not max out now. Like I don't want you to have your best years at 13, right? That's yeah. really the only thing that I am involved in is I'm like, no, you can only run three days a week. Is is he like a self? Like, is he like, yo, I want to get out here and oh, hell no. do this thing? No. No? And I love that about him. Okay. He yeah. will not train on his own. So for instance, this week they don't have practice because it's like Thanksgiving, even though they are going to a national championship that we're spending money on to go to in two and a half weeks. So he was supposed to do a hill workout today and he was like, I don't know. So I, my husband literally took him to his friends because that's the only way he'll do it is that they'll do it together. Uh, and so I know that eventually, like he did so, his middle school has this big end of the year meet. It's it's a four week long season, four weeks. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then the last meet, all eight or 14 schools come together and there was like 400 some kids in the race. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. And he got fifth this year. We were very surprised. I'm not going to lie. I thought he'd be like 10th. Um, and he did say to me the next day, like, do you think I could maybe win that next year? And I was like, I do, but I do think you'd have to run a, little, a little bit <laughs> in the summer, not the whole summer, but you know, like school starts and the, the meet is five weeks later. Like you might have to run a little bit leading up. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like if he's motivated enough by wanting to win that, that he is willing to go run three days a week on his own. I don't know. Cause right now I'd tell you no way no way he'll go around by himself so my son um is 13 as well and he runs in his cross-country team and track and i think in the beginning i was like trying to like you know kind of push a little bit but then like the other day i, I i'm a little harsh i'm probably like <laughs> to not have a dad around like you'd think that i'd be like a little easier <laughs> to be around sometimes but like he was saying something and i'm like bro you don't even like running i call him bro <laughs> I call him bro. So I'm like, bro, you don't even like running. You don't do. And I'm like, no, you don't. It's fine though. And I was like, but you don't have to. Like, you don't have, like, just because I run does not mean you have to like running. You know, and he's like, but I do though. I'm like, if you did, you'd go run. You'd want to run every now and then, but you don't. So it's okay. Like, and then, so even after, like, I'm rough with him on that, he hit me up the other day and he's like, hey, um, I want to run the turkey trap. And because he did, he did it last year too. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And 
every year we've run it to get either I, I, I ran it at the same time as him two years ago. But I raced it because I'm immature. So I'm like, oh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, like, I'm not run sticking with, around with you. Not, not, running, not running with you. <laughs> and then last year I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm above all that, you know, so I'm just going to hold his coat and stuff like that. And I'll watch him, which was really fun. This year I was like, do you want me to hold your coat and stuff or do you want me to run with you? He asked me to run with him. Oh, so that's so cool. I, I couldn't put ourselves in a second wave because I was still too like, you know, in my head. But uh, so we're going to run tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is not obviously not going to be an evergreen episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so we're running tomorrow. And I, I just I I love like trying to work my way through this being a, a, a supportive parent that mm -hmm. also tries to like instill some type of structure without mm -hmm. being like overbearing. Yeah. And let me tell you, like I would never run on my own when I was younger either. Oh, good. I remember even being like a senior and I was supposed to run on a Sunday and like the whole day was going on. My mom was like, are you going to run or what? And finally it got dark. And I was like, I guess I can't run now. And she was like, oh no, you're running. And she followed me in the car, the car lights on. So like oh, no. even myself, it wasn't until I got to college that I was like, all in on running. I mean, I loved it so much before, but like I was lazy. Like I wouldn't run on the weekends or oh, I don't man. even know if I was lazy. I was just like, why would I do that? Right. My friends aren't going to be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's hope. There's hope for there's both hope. of our okay. sons. Yeah. All right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, your son's, your son is, is, is quick. So that's, it's really fun to see. And like, it, it's in the cool thing about if it wasn't you, I think we'd all think that, his parents are like forcing him to do this, like some Tiger Woods situation. Right, right. But like, but like knowing who you know, knowing who you are, and like listening, you know, to to your book and the way that you've approached social media and the way that you approach your partnerships with brands and things, and what you stand for now, it's really cool to see like him choosing to do it, and you're like trying your best to not be like trying you know, so hard. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. You know, you're I like, have hey, to don't. say. He so he got into cross country because a friend of his wanted to run cross country and he didn't want to. And I uh -huh. called the coach and I was like, "Hi, my name's Kara Goucher. I'm psycho. My son is young. He can only run twice a week. Are you okay?" Did with he that? know who you were? Did he know she, who you were? She did. It was a she, oh, she and she did, did know. Yeah. yeah. Um. And she was like, she's actually really famous herself. Her name's Melody Fairchild. She was like a really really good high school runner and won a couple NCAA titles. So whatever. I, it was fine. Um. <laughs> But the first day that I dropped him off, I'm driving him and Colt's going, I don't understand why we can't just hang out more. Like, why do we have to go to running? And so, and Adam and I were so nervous. We drop him off. We come home. We're like, oh God, oh God. Like, cause this <laughs> is it. Like he's going to either like it or we just ruined it. And he's so young. Oh, right. Oh yeah. So I go to pick him up and his face is beat red. Like I'd never seen it like that. And he was like, that was so fun. And his oh, friend goes, awesome. I hated it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> his friend, friend, no, he quit after like oh. three weeks, but Colt got hooked. And and a lot of That's it is awesome. the social part, but he likes that feeling of pushing. Anyway, it was just like amazing because I didn't, I knew I wanted him to run, but he'd always be like, I'm not like, people would be like, oh, are you going to run? He'd go, no. And yeah. I was like, I didn't start running till like, I mean, I ran when I was little, but he likes football. He likes basketball. He likes soccer. That's fine. I'm not going to, I don't want to push it on him. But then I was in the back of my head. I was like, but I want him to start running in middle school. So it was awesome. Mm. Cause it's his friend got him into it. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's awesome. Though. I, I, love, <laughs> I love, I love that. And then the friend's like, nah, I'm yeah, right. he was like, hell no, no. He went like two more times and he was just done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was like, so I was talking to uh, Peter Bromko, which, which we, we know, you know, um, he, I was talking to him and we started talking about this turkey chat thing. And I was like, my son is better than he was. 
but he's at the point where he hasn't realized that he could still be better than he is if he did this a little bit more and like decided to dedicate some time to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's really the lesson, you know, like yeah. that's not like, I don't care. Like if he decides like, you know, I'm not gonna run ever again, but I want to apply some of the things that I've learned from running or this process of trying to get better at something. I want to apply that to something different. Then that's great. Yeah. But I just don't want him to ever just like, I just don't want them, either one of my kids to be like so, people that just, um, you know, sometimes like people act like they're trying to get better at something, but right. they're not really. Um, mm-hmm. So they kind of fool themselves. And like I've done it. Like you kind of fool yourself that you're trying, but you're not, you know? Yeah. So I just don't want him to be in that weird area. Like either try it all the way, you know, and push or like decide that you don't like this enough to push. So find something different. You know, Is he, is he in eighth grade? Yes. Okay. I do. Yeah. And he'll go to high school next year. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, do think- I don't even know if he's going to run though. So. Oh, okay. Cause I was going to yeah. say high school, like they do ask more of you. So I feel like at that point he'll kind of like have to make that commitment if he decides yeah. to stay with it. Yeah. And then if he decides like, Hey, I want to, I do want to run in the summer or something like that. I want to run in, in high school. I will be like, okay, well you, to, to save your, your own life, you probably right. should run, <laughs> yeah. you know, you in should the summer, do a little prep in the summer. Just do a little bit of running. <laughs> Um, you know, just, I don't want to, I don't want to come to the first meeting. You're like, you're on the ground, you know? Right. I know. Um, totally. But, um, well, I didn't, um, we, we kind of bounced around a lot, talked about a, a few different things. Um, I just, like, I kind of already said it a bit, but you, um, you, you inspire and have inspired so many different people in the way that you've like gracefully, like taken your career from, from, you know, running to, um, to more of like a public figure, uh, and then working these races and like in sharing parts of your story through the way that you speak ab- about runners, you know, and the, the the care and the safety that you and the the care and the intention that you take when you speak about people. Um, like I had Nikki on the show, and they were so happy about the way that you use their pronouns correctly, and that care to me, I mean, it seems easy to connect to um you know the things that you've been through and that you've gone through and that you've overcome um and why you are so you know the way that you are you know and i appreciate you thank you so much i can't wait to see like what's next for you um and every time that you want to be you know crazy kara and like yell squirrel on a broadcast <laughs> please don't hold back from that i don't know if you got in trouble for that but you shouldn't have because it was amazing i didn't but i love that the first time i talked to you after calling that race you were like squirrel like you caught squirrel. it right away <laughs> i laughed so hard it's like it's it's the world athletics mar- you know marathon and you're like yeah there's so much going on it's squirrel and it was the funniest thing i'm like well, only I you didn't get- trouble so that was good that was good they didn't even get it they're just like wait what? okay <laughs> you know but i loved it thank you so much thank, thank you, you so much for your time and all that you do for the sport keep pushing keep um empowering women by telling your story please thank you appreciate it tommy thank you thank you thank you okay well I don't think that was that bad. I mean, it definitely was got a little therapy ish right then, but sometimes we just got to have a conversation that, that, that means something to us. And oftentimes on a run or on a couch or on next to a fire or just two friends chatting, you get a little, you get a little deeper on the, you know, the, on the emotional side. So, um, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully you took something from it. Hopefully you are empowered and 
all the good stuff and motivated by Kara and all the things that she does. Um, I hope and cannot wait to bump into her a bunch of different times in 2024. She is an absolute gem to society and the running industry and the running community as a whole. So thank you so much, Kara, for being on the show. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the Run, Eat, Sleep Show podcast um, here on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Leave a comment, leave a review, all that stuff. All that stuff helps. And make sure you follow um, the Run, Eat, Sleep Show on Instagram as well. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. Make sure you run, eat, sleep, and peace out.